I've just realised it's like Dragon's Den right now, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I need to talk about the commercials behind it and everything. Yeah, I know. What are, what are your profits looking like for the next couple of years in this business? Amazing. Really? You definitely need to invest. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, well, that sold me, obviously. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Attention Seekers, the podcast from Performance Marketing World, where we get to know who's seeking attention in the industry and how they are doing it. I'm Lucy Shelley, Multimedia Editor at PMW and your host for Attention Seekers. And today we have a fantastic guest. We have the brilliant Aslan Raj, CMO at Merkel Emir and CMO at Dentsu for UK and Ireland. With over 20 years of experience in the digital industry. And today he is coming to shed some light on brand loyalty. Hi, Az. Thank you for coming to our Attention Seekers studio this week. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Lucy. It's great to meet you, and I'm looking forward to this. I'm excited too. I'm excited too. First, um, congratulations on your recent promotion from CMO to CMO, it seems like. <laughs> what's, yeah. what's the change been like? Has, has there been a, a change? What's, it been, what's the experience been like for you? It's been really good. I mean, the idea of the, as you say, the expansion of the role was to, as a business, we're trying to integrate better across our service lines um, and our different brands within Dentsu. So the idea is to think about how do we do that for our clients, um, for ourselves? So how do we start to make sure that we start to put the customer first in our context and really start to market to them in a better way? So it's been it's been interesting and it's been great. It's been really exciting. I, I think there's a lot of really cool stuff that's about to happen for us. So mm. it'll be great. exciting. So well, let's let's hear a little bit about it. But firstly, as you are sitting in the attention seeker studio, do you consider yourself an attention seeker? One hundred percent. I mean, I'm a marketer, so <laughs> that's pretty much all I do. <laughs> I'm glad you agree with that because I, I I mean I tend to think all marketers have to be attention seekers in one way or another but I'm surprised about the amount of people when I ask that shy away from that say oh no I'm actually quite an introverted person I don't seek attention at all don't like it it's like well it's literally what you're paid to do <laughs> <laughs> but anyway let's get to know you a little bit better so firstly as what has been getting your attention recently it's a great question I mean, there's so much going on at the moment, isn't there? I think the amount of information, I'm probably going to paraphrase this a little bit, but there's so much information about what customers value or consumers value right now. Um, and I mean that from such a soft perspective, uh, you know, the things that are really important to them, but also the responsibility of businesses. And I think those two things are really starting to come together and they're they're requiring a new breed of relationship and I guess that next generation of loyalty. So beyond what traditional loyalty is meant for businesses, it's about that that true meaning of loyalty coming and building that relationship with the consumer. It's it's hard to keep up with the change and the differences of opinion, I'd say, within the industry. Like you said, the value for customers mean different brands will probably say different things to what they would like it to be and what suits better with them. But I guess um, in your position, you have a, a good bird's eye view of what actually is the real value. Yeah. And I think also you've, you've got that sort of dilemma of as a brand, do you start to align to what your customers value or do you have your own values and then stick to them and then find people that are aligned to those values as well? You know, just like individuals, if you were going to find a friend, you try and find a friend or speak to them in a way that you connected on on a personal level. Um, so how do you start to make those decisions as a brand? Because it's slightly different. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, before we get into the uh, the meat of the podcast, let's find out how much of an attention seeker you claim to be, as you said at the beginning. So can you tell us a time when you did something ridiculous, ludicrous for attention? Yeah, I'm not sure it's ludicrous, but it is something <laughs> that I still do now. Um, and probably anybody that knows me will probably associate with it when they when I when I say it. But at home, I'm a bit of a comfort clothes wearer. You know, I'll just wear whatever I'm comfortable in. That might be you know, one of those fluffy big hoodies that sort of drown you while you're while you're sitting there watching TV. But when I'm out, I like to tend to I like to wear things that are a little bit quirkier. Ooh, nice. um, so. And it probably started from when I was in my mid twenties, but I made a decision, like a quite a proactive decision, that I would have something quirky about my dress sense from a work perspective as well. And it started with shirts that might have just like a a different color or cuffs or you know just a pattern or whatever it might be. But now it's jackets and shoes, so I'll always have um, matching jackets and shoes, but they'll have quite a um, I'm going to use the word loud. I wouldn't say loud, but loud pattern or whatever it might be on it that's quite different, and I'll look for things that are quite different. And then, you know, the thinking at that time was you're surrounded by so many smart, talented people, especially when, you, when you're young in, the, in a new career. And it's difficult to make your mark. And you, you want to be able to stand out with all these people around you as well. So I thought I didn't want to resort to sort of bad behaviors that sometimes used to see 20 years ago where um, you start clambering over people or trying to talk over them or whatever else. So I just wanted to invest in my personal brand more explicitly. And that was a way that I did that. It's just something, you know, a way that I want to be known for other than what I was trying to say as well. Oh, I, I love that. That's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I've I've had the same advice before. I remember when I was going for like job interviews or auditions when I was a, a wannabe actress, I was always told wear something memorable. So I'd always like go in like head to toe yellow or something just <laughs> just to be just to be remembered. What's your um your day-to-day attire then when you're going into the office as a chief marketing officer? So I tend not to wear shirts anymore. I tend to wear like a collarless long sleeve top okay. or a t-shirt underneath, but then I'll wear a jacket on top of that. And that jacket will generally be quite flowery, I'd imagine, in most cases. Nice. And I'll normally have some matching shoes to go with it. So like I have red velvet shoes or bright orange shoes or bright blue shoes, something like that. And I'll try to get them to match as close as possible and then just jeans with it as well. Nice. Oh. I go casual, but... Um, you know, I might just wear trainers or whatever else, but that will be my, I'm trying to be professional outfit. (laughs) Trying to be professional. (laughs) It's all in the effort. But yeah, I mean, because it's a bit like, I think I remember um, there was a a brand that went on Dragon's Den and their jazzing up professional attire was, oh, wear colourful socks. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you really don't venture out there, you know, get that adventurous, do you? If you're being bold is different coloured socks. (laughs) I do love Dragon's Den, though. I, I love Dragon's Den. Um, it's, it's one of my like, comfort watches. Just, I'm a sucker for seeing people be absolutely taken apart by Deborah Meaden. <laughs> a- absolutely. And when you're sitting on the sofa, you feel like you're one of the dragons as well, don't you? Oh, yeah. So it, you, know, you start to judge. Even though if you're in the room, you'd probably make the same same mistakes as to what they're doing live. But, you know, you, you, you get mm. into the spirit. I mean, your experience, obviously, what is... Um, tenfold greater than than mine when you're when you're watching at home and you're watching dragon's den do you kind of sit there thinking about the investments that the dragons are potentially making and thinking mm, yeah good one peter or you know think oh you're crazy <laughs> I, I do try to think about which dragon's going to invest i think this one would be good for for this dragon or or not and i i'm quite commercially minded as well so um i think some of the ideas i mean i'd never think of them some some of the, the ideas are so creative but I do think of the commercial aspects quite a bit. I go, oh, that doesn't feel right. Or how are they thinking about this? And I 
tend to have some of the same questions. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably what I like. It just stimulates my thought. That's probably why I like it so much. And it's but I can do that from my sofa. Yes, um, it is. It's a brilliant show. But I promise the podcast, I will not be interrogating you as if you are pitching <laughs> right now. <laughs> But let's move on to the main chunk of the podcast, which is all about ratings, which if you're a performance marketer, you look at quite closely. So we have asked you to bring something that you think is overrated and something that you think is underrated in the industry. So I will let you choose which one you would like to begin with and then off we go. Okay, I'll start with the overrated and it's going to be quite interesting because as you said at the start, we mentioned about brand advocacy. But the thing that I'm going to say is the discussion around that move back to brand. Um, And it's not because I don't think brand is important, because I think it's very important, but it's more that I don't think it's more or less important than data. Because if you you look back at the industry sort of 20 years ago, the the industry was really focused on brand. And brand um, just had that perception that was more important than data. If you look at the last five to 10 years, that sort of the pendulum swung um, towards data and it's been perceived that it's more valuable than brand. And since probably the, over the last few years, you've seen that that pendulum slowly starting to swing back. And that all we're going to do is swing that pendulum back and forth between brand and data when in reality, what we need to do is just stop it in the middle and get that good blend between the two, because that's what's going to get the best results for brands and it's going to be the right thing for the consumer. Absolutely. I mean, we launched our first uh, Unlocked event a couple of weeks ago, which is our two-day conference in the Excel, And that's essentially the kind of the main message that was coming across throughout the whole event as well saying that um using this data especially if you take it back to the brand's loyalty piece performance marketing isn't just about acquiring anymore it's also about retention and especially with the crises that are going on at the moment that has become ever more important so in your experience then is this one of the biggest shifts that you've seen during your time as a performance marketer I would say so. And you can sort of see it scaling and it scales across different channels and it scales across different sort of capabilities as well. I know Martin Sorrell just did an interview recently as well about um, data not hindering creativity, mm-hmm. which I think is true. But I think there's also there's so much that you can bring together. Um, I mean, creativity can stand on its own. Data can stand on its own, but you can combine the two. And I think it's a mix of what you need um, and that ability to to, I guess to stop that pendulum becomes more and more important when you're coming through because you've got to get out of the mindset of the silos that businesses tend to be in and they tend to think about brand or they tend to think about performance or data. I don't want to use the word performance because I think it's a bit conflicting mm-hmm. because it's brand isn't performance, but it's it's the combination and thinking about how you use things in the right way to solve the outcome that you're trying to trying to trying to get to for for consumers and your your customers at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. I think I mean it's it's always going to be a kind of a trial and error of you know changing the mix um for example i think it was airbnb released they're like oh don't need any performance marketing um but, but that works for that brand and it's going to always going to be different so it's going to keep people on their toes that's for sure it will and i think when you get it right you can also think about innovation and creativity through it and i mean creativity in the context of thinking rather than design or anything else because to be able for brands to stand out now it's you've got to do something really different because there's so much noise in the marketplace. You know, it's fairly saturated when it comes to um, sort of new ideas because everybody's been trying to innovate over the last few years as well. So you need to create that culture that's going to give you the opportunity to innovate and put the consumer first. So um, I think getting that blend is really important. 
Yes, I do feel sorry for any heads of innovation at the moment. I mean, you've really got a task on your hands. But do you have any, you mentioned there, you know, it's difficult for, or no, it's, you know, brands that are innovative are really standing out. Which, are there any brands at the moment to you that are standing out for their innovation? Oh, that's a great question. Um, there is, but when, when you're asked that question, you always forget all the brands that do. Okay, I think I've got something here. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the innovation sort of happens in different ways. It isn't just necessarily a technology innovation, it's through the experience. And I just went on holiday um, on a cruise, actually, and just the experience that they had with the app and the way that you can manage the entire experience on the app. It doesn't seem like a, a big thing, but actually when you use it, it was it was very it was very handy because you could book everything from your food through to the excursions that you wanted to go on, the activities. You could also categorize it by your family because I went with my wife and two kids as well, and even the grandparents came with us. So we had to coordinate that. I had access to do it for the grandparents as well. So it, it's just little convenient things. I think it is really good innovation as well. And um, then you've got glossy things in the way that people innovate, even some of the brand marketing that's been going out recently. Um, there was the advert for co-op that where they um, did some out of home and they did projections on the buildings and they started to talk about the the sustainability um, of their bank. And I thought that was, you know, really, really creatively done. It's just innovative in slightly different ways. And I think that innovation can come through in so many different forms. It doesn't have to just be a Netflix or a, an Airbnb or an Uber or whatever it might be. Mm. I think it's just doing things that, that stand out. I think convenience is an interesting point because obviously tech, the introduction of tech over the last you know, couple of decades has been for the sake of convenience. But how inconvenient can tech also sometimes be? You know, we can <laughs> really struggle or I think we expect so much of it that as soon as it doesn't work, it's the most annoying thing. But like you say, so this app on the cruise, when it does work and it's seamless, it, you do feel like, oh, my gosh, wow. Exactly. And we, we sort of refer to that as invisible experiences. It's the stuff that just needs to work. It's the unsexy stuff that just has to happen. Um, I mean, an example I use is your broadband. You don't notice your broadband until it's not working. Mm. So it's how do we how do we start to make sure that those invisible experiences are seamless? Because that, that's table stakes for a consumer. So you need to make sure that all the different things you're doing from the data you've got about a customer stitches together, your technology stitches together, everything, even your retail stores, the, the experience that they have with a customer service agent or a retail advisor, all of those have to be really seamless. Then you can do the shiny stuff on top of that that, that really stands out and the more immersive or, or visible experiences. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's let's hear what you think is underrated at the moment and should be getting a little bit more attention than it currently gets. So for me, I think identity. And I don't mean that in the context of the number of customer records that I have in my database, which is a, a big question at the moment that you're seeing in the industry, but it's more the ability to truly know an individual, I guess, along two different axes. You know, do you recognize them and how much do you know about them? Um, because I think it's identity in a graduating scale that's going to be foundational to moving away from things like traditional personalization, um, where we're just putting content out that feels personalized for the purpose of selling, but moving to something that's more personal and genuinely wanting what is right for the customer. That's interesting you said that because it's slightly similar. I wonder if you agree, actually, to a a guest we've had on previously. We had John Evans uh, from the Uncensored CMO. He came on to talk about the Super Bowl and he overrated personas. 
I agree with that. And I think any sort of segmentation becomes quite challenging if you don't do it in the right way, because personas sort of make assumptions and they stereotype. It's got a bias towards it. And I think that's the challenge with it. So it's it's about understanding individuals as individuals. And how can you do that? Because when if we if we look at the digital space, since we're talking about performance marketing, um, when you when for somebody first comes to you as a consumer and you don't know who they are, over time you're building up that information and they're becoming more and more recognizable. And that's the job that we have to do. And that's what you know we do as a business to help clients do that, to try and graduate that understanding so they become a known individual, whether that's a customer or a known consumer in some shape or form, so that you can deliver them a better experience. And that might be the, those invisible experiences might be something that's, you know, that sort of stands out. But unless you can do that, and personas won't allow you to necessarily do that, they might be a starting point that you that you may begin with, but there's so much bias within it. I think you need to be able to shift beyond that. Let's hear about your best practice. I would like you to tell me about an exciting project that you've worked on and how you got other people's attention. So I was originally going to tell you about the existing role or the current role that I'm in, because there's so much that's exciting around it about bringing that brand and data together. Mm. But there's, there's a previous client that I worked on. Um, it was a telco client, and we were trying to work out how do we better sell their broadband. And that the if you think about any broadband experience, whether it for most providers, not necessarily now because they've it's progressed in the last last couple of years. But when you when you type in your broadband, it's almost like a quiz. You, uh, when you type in to find if you, your broadband services are available where you live, you type in your postcode, and it's either a yes and you get sent down a VIP route because they're about to sell you something, or it's a no and it's just a hard no. You know, there's no there's no softness in it whatsoever. You just feel like you've been declined, <laughs> rejected. You know, it's full rejection. <laughs> So um, the idea was to put some transparency that sits around it. And so people could see if they might be able to get those services in time. And then also think about when they'd be able to get those services. And then as part of that, so you you go through different phases. There might be phase one to three of where they are in the, the planning process. But in addition to that, if you think about how that could be gamified, because if we worked on the, if, sorry, if we lived on the same street, we could start to uh, think about how we can pull together to, go up the ranks so i could say hey lucy um you know this company's thinking about putting broadband in our area the super fast speedy whizzy broadband that i really I'm want i'm sure that's the official terms they use speedy it, whizzy i'm broadband. sure that is yeah <laughs> and um but if you if you sign up as interested as well that puts us up the scoreboard and the pecking order so they'll come to us quicker you know and then that starts to gamify the whole thing and then you can from a marketing perspective that gives you loads of data so then you can market to that group and you're thinking about where the customers are rather than just necessary infrastructure and things like that. So I thought that was a really, really nice way to look at things differently and put the customer at the center of it. Absolutely. I mean, it kind of, it's like what you were saying earlier about broadband, about not knowing what you're missing kind of thing. Like you have to think backwards about things sometimes. So you have to almost solve an issue that doesn't, it doesn't present a problem yet, but you don't realize how good it is until you've done it. So that's the, that is the creativity that I think marketers are required to have these days isn't it completely I, th- I think that's a really nice way to look at it you have to think with the end in mind and then how do you gonna how are you gonna get there and you've got to bear in mind but it's not an end of a journey because it's an ongoing thing um, that end may change and you've got to be ready to be able to to adapt to that um i once spoke to a, a friend of mine who's an author and i was asking about my daughter just because at that time she was interested in writing 
she's obviously changed her mind a million times since then but at that time she was interested in writing <laughs> well, I asked him you know what tips would he have and she the first thing that he said um was always think about the ending that you're going to have in the book and then work backwards from there mm. and I think it's exactly the same thing when you're designing an experience thinking about a campaign whatever it might be from a marketing perspective as well start with where you're trying to get to and then work backwards because that means you're going to have the right solution with the goal in mind rather than working the other way out I mean it that's definitely the right thing to do. But if I think about writing a book backwards, that definitely sounds like the hardest thing to do. Yeah, well, not the whole book backwards. You start with the end and then you go back yeah. to the start again. <laughs> but speaking of authors, I'm all right. You've just uh, released a book, haven't you? I did last year. Last yes, year. It's called, I, co- I co-authored a book with uh, a friend and colleague at the time, Richard Lees. Um, it's called Shift, uh, Transform Motion into Progress in Business. Mm. Uh, so it came out last January. Um and, you know, we, we really enjoyed the process. Similar thing, we, we were trying to understand what we were doing first with that advice in mind as well. And we wanted to, to share some of our experiences um, through that too. Mm. That's, I guess, another attention-seeking moment, isn't it, as well? <laughs> <laughs> it is. I guess it is, because when you write a book, you, you try to leave a legacy in some shape before, aren't you? Well, before we wrap up, the end of this episode of Attention Seekers, we have the final resell me a pen challenge to go, which is all about getting my attention. And this challenge is where you are challenged to resell an outdated, no longer used object and try to resell it to today's audience with ideally a performance marketing strategy. And your item has been chosen from our previous guest, Adam Wright, the head of digital at Nivea. And he chose this whilst he was he was looking in his, I don't know, clearing out his attic or something. And he found a mini disc player, which I have to admit, I had to Google what that was. <laughs> um, and alas, I, I found it. I found out what it was. And as you now have 60 seconds to resell me when I've got my timer up. So just. Oh, it's a strict 60 seconds as well. Oh, it's okay. A very strict 60 seconds. Yes. I, I, I feel like Adam stitched me up here. So I'm going to reach out to him separately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to stay firmly out of this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not starting wars against my guests. That's not, that's for sure. Okay. When you are ready as resell me okay. a mini disc player. Okay. I'm going to assume that I've done the research here and our audience is uh, an opportunity for the younger audience or people that owned a, a mini disc player at that time as well, when it was in its prime, that will unlo- probably unlikely, but have a repeat purchase. But I'd start with an idea and base it on a, con- uh, a concept around a brand. So do you like music? Do you like music on the move? Do you like that feeling of being retro and valuing history? And then, you know, almost saying that the mini disc player is the one thing that you don't own that you should. So a piece of the past, a little bit like owning a Game Boy or a Mega Drive and go from that, that, that context. Then I would present you some ads, um, starting with a fun and quirky brand education piece, because like you said, you don't know, you didn't know what the mini disc was. So um, I'd start with a display across channels, almost focusing on the fact that you can listen to it, maybe looking at different options around using a mini disc player to have TikTok videos, um, Instagram photos, making it more fun than it probably is. But then start to use that to drive to the website or a website that starts an engaging experience. So that you can get Ooh, that timers, data. Stop. Sorry. Oh my god, that was quick. I know it goes so fast, <laughs> and I was really listening, and I completely forgot to look at the timer. But if anyone... I might have to shorten this. <laughs> well, I'm afraid time is up. I can't let you carry oh. on. 
I know. <laughs> 60 seconds goes so quickly. But I will tell you, that is the most thought out performance marketing strategy we have had so far. <laughs> um, I would have shortened it if, I, if I'd sort of thought about the timing a little bit more. I didn't realise it was going to be so strict. Oh, it's so strict. <laughs> this is, this so is one strict. of the most prestigious challenges on a podcast around. <laughs> I, I feel that I've let myself down now, and I'm going to have to. Interest you know, in, a, in could you briefly uh, t- uh, tell us what, what was going to come be the end of your pitch? So it would have been a website, and then you could have got a physical mini disc where you create your own playlist, and it'd be a sustainable one, and then push you to an e-commerce site, mm. and then you could retarget those people as well on the different channels. Oh wow! I've just realised it's like Dragon's Den right now, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I need to talk about the commercials behind it and everything. Yeah, I know. What are, what are your profits uh, looking like for the next couple of years in this business? Amazing. Really? You definitely need to invest. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, well, that sold me, obviously. <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll make it biodegradable so Deborah Meaden comes in as well. Oh, yeah, she does. She loves uh, the environment. Okay, so, I mean, because I have never heard a performance marketing strategy so well thought out for a mini disc player before, you've resold it to me. We're going to, you know, go down that retro route. And I mean, I can see why you're a, a double CMO with thinking about the customer first. You've thought about it backwards, as we've been talking about. So congratulations, as this is being recorded on a Friday afternoon. And hopefully you can start your weekend with a bit of success. Amazing. I feel good about that now. Fantastic. (laughs) Well, have you chosen something for our next guest? So the product that I've selected is an abacus. That is such a good one. I thought I'd pay it forward. Um. (laughs) I think that's easier than the mini desk player, if I'm honest. I do. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being this week's guest on Attention Seekers. I hope we have satisfied your attention-seeking desires. Thanks. It was great, Lucy. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Attention Seekers. If you enjoyed it, please let us know by sending us an email, liking, following, subscribing and leaving us a review because it all means so much to us. And if you give us a follow, you will be the first to know who's next attention seeking in the industry. If you want to find out more about the news from the performance marketing industry, look out for our news shorts where we get a behind the scenes look at the news of the week in less than 10 minutes. And for everything else performance marketing related, head to our website, performancemarketingworld.com. Don't forget to register and subscribe. Thank you all for listening and giving us your attention. I hope you'll join me next time with our next attention-seeking guest. Thank you and goodbye.